Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wide Open Spaces podcast. My name is Jenny Conley, your host. The goal of Wide Open Spaces is to build bridges by having humanizing conversations about controversial ideas. Today, we're talking about a few different contentious topics that are found within the Christian and more specifically the Catholic Church. And we're talking about these issues through the lens of female or feminine spirituality and what that even is, and also through the lens of a woman's role as a Christian, uh, married or otherwise, what is the role of women in the church? This is a topic that is certainly debated within different factions of the church, different denominations, uh, different ideas, more progressive or more traditional. And that's what we're talking about today. And I'm speaking on this topic with Shannon Evans. Shannon Evans is a speaker, a Catholic speaker and author based out of Iowa, where she lives with her husband and five children. She has published five titles so far, and she is working for several different publications, including the Everyday Ignatian column at Jesuits.org, the official website for the Jesuits of U.S. and of Canada, and she also serves as the social media editor for the National Catholic Reporter. And a lot of the themes that she speaks about have to do with what makes feminine spirituality unique, uh, the role of women within the church, and of course, different perspectives on motherhood, especially for mothers who may be wrestling with some of the traditional conventions and ideas that are tethered to what it means to be a good mother. So she's uh, a woman who is writing to women, and I find it fascinating to see how she so openly engages with different ideas about how um, men and women can interact in more healthy ways, specifically as Christians, as Catholics. Now, she's, I find her perspective to be intriguing as well because she is a convert from a Christian Protestant faith to Catholicism when she was 30. So her perspective is unique as she shares from coming from different Christian worldviews and, and a major shift in her Christian worldview, uh, in her personal journey of faith. So, I, we, we talk about a lot in this episode and I, I'm really grateful that Shannon was so open about her own personal story and we talked about some tricky issues and certainly this, in, this conversation is not comprehensive, but it taps into a few really big issues that you honestly could talk about for hours and hours. We talk about differences between a female and male spirituality within a Catholic framework, we talk about the idea of dismantling the patriarchy. Is this a worthy or is it a harmful goal? Is patriarchy in general, is it a problem to be solved or is it an important structure that should be celebrated and rejuvenated within the church? Should patriarchy be redeemed? We talk about the idea of female priests, whether or not women could be ordained as Catholic priests, and issues relating to gender roles within the institutional church, and how gender roles look different from an evangelical Protestant fundamentalist perspective, and what gender roles might look like within a Catholic framework. We also talk about parenting and different ways of introducing ideas of who God is to young children. So it's an expansive conversation, and I, I look forward to sharing this with you and would love to hear your thoughts on it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Shannon Evans.
Hey, Shannon, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's fun to be here, Jenny. Of course. Well, I'd love to start with a little bit of your story and to to understand a little bit more deeply where you came from and how you developed the worldview that you're currently standing in. I I was reading your bio, uh, a couple different bios for uh, for you, and I, I'd seen that you had a conversion to Catholicism around the age of 30 mm-hmm. from a Protestant denomination. And of course, you're, you're a writer who a lot of people know as someone who's speaking on female or feminine spirituality and the role of women in the church. And I'm curious, when you made that transition uh, a little bit later into your young adulthood from Protestantism to Catholicism, were there was there a significant shift in how you perceived the role of women in the church switching from a Protestant perspective to a Catholic perspective? Was it a primarily positive shift or were you surprised by what you saw in a Catholic realm? What was that shift in terms of your view as a woman like? Yeah, that's a great question. I... I don't, I wouldn't say that there was necessarily that shift happening at the point of my becoming Catholic. I think more of that came about later. Um, but I was raised in a Baptist home, but not like the super conservative Southern Baptist, sort of just like a moderate. My, but my dad was a pastor and a theologian. My mom's a social worker, like very much a part of our life and my upbringing. Um, I, I went to public school, but I went to Baptist University. So, you know, took Bible classes and all of that. So it was definitely, um, a very significant part of my life. Um, and then later in college, I ended up at this, uh, non-denominational church and like evangelical. There was a lot of missions focused. Um, and so kind of from there, it started leaning more towards, my parents had always been very, um, very vocal about women's position in the church being sh- that one that should be uplifted. And they were very much into like an egalitarian format. Um, but when I went to the non-denominational church, there was, it was very subtle, but there was a lot more of like, these are women's roles and these are men's roles. And, um, th- that environment in other ways was really healthy for me. But I think I, I saw, um, I saw myself sort of passively absorbing things that I wasn't sure what to do with because they didn't necessarily match up to what I had experienced. Um, but then when I became Catholic, it was like I said, for really, um, vastly different reasons, which is almost a story for another day. But, um, but I, I noticed in the Catholic church at the parish level that women, had a lot of presence and voice and there was usually, um, women on staff and women active. And of course that also speaks to the parishes that I've been a part of. Um, but a lot of, I was, I was interested that a lot of men read, um, the works of female writers, usually, usually saints or doctors of the church. Um, but, and obviously there's the devotion to Mary, but I, I felt like there was, in a lot of ways, um, the, the contribution of women was taken really seriously in the Catholic church. And I really, um, saw that early on and valued it. It wasn't until later that I became really frustrated with <coughs> kind of the ceiling for women in the Catholic church. It's like, you know, you can, you mm-hmm. can have a lot of influence and, um, 
and be really vocal and be a leader to a certain level. And then it's all male. So kind of, it's probably five years into being Catholic that that began to be really frustrating to me. But um, yeah, that's a little kind of smorgasbord of answer to your question, I guess. And in terms of your experience with that evangelical side of Protestantism, was that along the lines of a fundamentalist perspective. Uh, I know that there's a lot of press. I've always been, I'm a cradle Catholic, but I've certainly learned a lot about that fundamentalist, white evangelical, a lot of the stereotypes with that church and a lot of the criticisms that have been levied towards it over the the past decade, especially. Was that kind of the flavor that you were experiencing when you touched that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it was really interesting because back then, people weren't even really using the word evangelical that much. Like that wasn't, but looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, it was definitely like, it fits the mold of generally what people are talking about in those conversations when they talk about white evangelical um, spaces, uh, religious spaces. And so, yeah, uh, I, I feel really lucky that I've had a lot of different religious experiences and a lot of different exposure. Actually, our gateway drug into Catholicism was being a part of an Anglican church (laughs) after the non-denominational one. And that was, that was shorter lived. That was about a year and a half, but um, yeah. So kind of have, have learned a lot from a lot of different places. Okay. And when you were uh, still within a Christian Protestant context, were there a lot of female pastors, even in the Anglican church, were you exposed to, I know that I think in some branches of Anglicanism, there, there might be ordained female priests. I know that's probably a much more progressive branch of Anglicanism, but was that, was that clerical leadership of women something that you saw at all? Well, no, it wasn't. Um, but it was actually a, it was like a church plant. It was, it was meeting in a house, this little Anglican church. And so it was very kind of, you know, outside the norm of what a lot of people experience the Anglican church to be. Um, so it was, it felt very grassroots and, you know, kind of, there was obviously a priest and he was male, but, um, you know, he was, he was more progressive and just kind of felt like everybody in a lot of ways had a lot of kind of equal say, cause it was a small community. Um, actually my, when I was growing up in about seventh grade, our Baptist church, um, hired the first female Baptist pastor in Texas. Cause I, I grew wow. up in Texas. And so, and like I said, that was like seventh grade for me or, somewhere between seventh and ninth grade. It's fuzzy, but it was a very formative time for me in my life. And, um, I saw half the church leave because of the decision. And, um, my parents were very supportive of it and she was a phenomenal pastor. She's, she's a wonderful person, leader and, um, is phenomenal. But I remember like Westboro Baptist church came and they like protested with their, you know, hateful signs outside and everything. And so, yeah, I've, a lot of that has kind of um, informed my spirituality in ways that I really didn't even put words to until later, I think. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I've been listening to this this journalistic podcast produced by Christianity Today called The Fall of Mars Hill, which is focused on Mark this. Driscoll, this, this kind of superstar mega church pastor yeah. who built this huge uh, evangelical uh basically empire based on this church. And a lot of it was uh, founded on this pretty aggressive understanding of the difference between men and women. Uh, 
partly defined by his personality. So I've just been kind of doing this quite somewhat randomly, this deep dive into this understanding of that fundamentalist evangelical perspective on men and women, because I've noticed that a lot of the criticisms, uh, perhaps within Catholicism, when there's a criticism of how uh, women are placed within the church or the role of women within the Catholic church, it seems like some of those criticisms have seeped over from criticisms that are being uh, focused towards some Protestant churches, especially that fundamentalist approach to Protestantism. And uh, it's definitely made me curious to see whether that transferring that criticism is actually something that is accurate. I, I noticed that you you did a had a conversation um, on YouTube with Beth Allison Barr. Yeah, I believe. yeah, and she's she's published some well known works on mm-hmm. the the dismantling of the patriarchy within the Christian context and the role of women in the church. And I, I was curious whether it's specific to your conversation with her, but also in your experience coming from Protestant and then Catholic, whether you think it's accurate to transfer some of the criticisms that uh, are being levied towards a Protestant perspective. Maybe it's too traditional or too forcing women into a box in terms of traditional gender roles, and then transferring that into a Catholic context. Because there is such a vast difference between, of course, an evangelical fundamentalist Protestantism and then the Catholic Church. I mean, structurally, there is such a big difference, at least from mm-hmm. the perspective I'm coming from. So I'm sometimes cautious when I see maybe the anger that's coming from that Protestant experience being transferred towards Catholicism and why can't women be priests when the theology is actually just so different. I don't know what your thoughts are in transferring that criticism. Yeah, um, I think that there there are a lot of similarities and there are some really important differences. Um, and I also feel like there, there's such, there's such broad experiences, you know, Mm -hmm. the experience of being Protestant or the experience of being Catholic, those are such huge umbrella terms for, for very like personal experiences. Um, but as far as, you know, kind of the Mars Hill brand of Protestantism, um, and transferring critiques. I think a lot of it holds water and a lot of it doesn't. So it's like, yeah. I mean, personally, I am like unapologetically like I, I want women to be priests. I want that to be an okay. option in the Catholic church and married priests. And I, and I think that that would give us a, um, a healthier, less clerical, more well-balanced, well-rounded church. And I think I can, I can, um, honor and acknowledge the theology that, and I think that is the big difference between the Protestant church and the Catholic church is that the Catholic church has a, you know, um, a very specific theology for everything that we believe, you know, it's nothing is by accident or happenstance. Um, but I do think that over time, I think it's appropriate for us to take in, um, you know, new, new information as, as our human consciousness grows and, and new considerations of, of humanity and the sciences and the society, um, that our church fathers operated in and the society that we operate in. And also, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that there is really valid historicity for, um, you know, taking seriously the, the possibility of women priesthood. And those, I leave those things to scholars, but I've certainly read a lot that I think is a compelling enough case 
for it to at least be a, a discussion on the table and not something that, that has the door closed. And I think that like our, our synod right now that's going on until 2023 is a really great opportunity to listen to people like me who, you know, like five or 10 years ago, I think it's really scary to talk about, to be like, yeah, I'm like shyly raising my hand of like, I, I think that this should be something that's in conversation. I'm not going to like, you know, personally, I'm not going to like go get ordained and I don't even want to be a priest, but just for an example, but I want to see my church talking about this and like reevaluating and, and weighing all of the, um, input from scholars and theologians about, you know, whether this should be relooked at. Anyways, I'm getting off on a tangent, but I do think that there are, um, important differences to note. And, and I think that, you know, when we look at a lot of the social issues that our religious congregations are grappling with today, with racism and sexuality and all of these things that are like these big topics on the table, I feel like women's ordination is the one thing that's a little more, um, complicated because of like the robust Catholic theology in our history with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that I've seen in the difference between maybe having a female Protestant pastor and then the idea of having a female Catholic priest, because one is, I guess, just a question of leadership. And then the other is maybe more fundamentally a question of, uh, the idea that a man isn't a priest simply because it's, uh, pushing forward a patriarchal vision of the church, but it's fundamentally inherent to who he is as a man to be a priest. And that, that difference in gender is, is what actually allows someone to be a priest as opposed to not being a priest. So yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I think there is a little bit more of a, it is a different question depending on which form of Christianity you profess. Certainly. Yeah. 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 I wonder when, I noticed in the title of your book, Rewilding Motherhood, which a lot of people know you for, a beautiful book, uh, you use the term empowerment in the title. I believe an, an empowered female spirituality. Am I quoting that correctly? It's technically empowered feminine spirituality. Okay, empowered feminine spirituality. And in terms of the conversation of, of a woman's role in the church and this, this conversation about the dynamic between men and women in terms of church leadership – of course, the conversation of power comes up a lot. And so when you use that term empowerment, it it caught my eye. And I know for myself personally, and I'm certain that this is not the experience of every uh, of everyone who hears this word, empowerment has it has a little bit of baggage for me in the sense that I, I tend to see that word with a bit of a, a negative connotation. And I think the reason I hear that word and it has this negative tone to me is because if everything is in, as I've seen it, if everything is divine, uh, if everything in terms of the dynamic between men and women is constantly defined in terms of power dynamics, then it seems to me to reduce that relationship. Because if we're, if within the church or within society, we're just constantly aiming for equal power, equal power, and power is what matters, making sure that women have just as much power as men do, then it seems to me that that indicates that power is the most important thing. Whereas, at least as I've just kind of been growing in my own faith, I've, I've come to wonder if 
the question shouldn't be so much focused on power as much as it should be focused on how that power is being used. Because if someone has a ton of power over over you, but they don't abuse it, and in fact, they use that power to nurture and to help you flourish, whether that's a group or whether that's you individually, then I wonder if the question of power just becomes so much less relevant. Because again, abused power is something to fear, but a power that's used under the sovereignty of God with a sense of humility and virtue and love, it's something that it's, I guess, more neutral as I see it. So I'm a little, I'm curious about for you, what does that word empowerment mean uh, in terms of the dynamic of, of literally power between men and women? That's a really great question. I, I, that was not the, that was not like what was in my head when I chose the subtitle. Like, so I meant more, um, to feel personally empowered in your faith Mm -hmm. and to kind of, um, be able to connect, to know how you connect with God, I think maybe is what I meant, um, to be able to access that connection. Um, but as far as power dynamics, I think power can be a, a word that trips us up. Um, but I think what it represents is having your voice heard and having, um, having agency and being able to contribute as an equal. Um, one thing that my husband and I are really working on right now is in our parenting Mm -hmm. to not, um, and parenting is arguably a position of power, right? But yeah. to to re kind of rewire our brains to approach it as um as being a community instead, and mm. and teaching our children how to um teaching our children that they that they have agency and that like and actually to uproot ageism from within us. A lot of times we hear ageism and we think of okay. like the elderly, but also with children. And, um, so I don't know if that's personally something that I'm, you know, when I think of power dynamics in my life right now, that's something that's occupying a lot of mental space for me is how I'm, um, how I'm engaging with my children. And, you know, there is like, there's one thing to be said for like a benevolent dictatorship, right? Like I am, I have been loving and compassionate and merciful. Um, but when we look at human dignity, is it more valuable or more, I, let's say more in keeping with the heart of God to, to give my children as much voice and as much say, as much control over their own lives as possible obviously not like teaching them not to, you know, do harm, um, and teaching them what I, what I see is to, to walk in a way that, that is pleasing to God. Um, but kind of trying to balance a lot of those things right now in my head and my family. And so to take that to like a male and female perspective, um, I think it's, whether it's, you know, a gender, a gender divide or, you know, a sexuality, heterosexual, homosexual divide, or whether it's a racial divide. I think any time in history, when we look back, um, I think the, the, those in power and those who, who are under them generally have different stories of how it went. And I think what we're learning right now as a society is like, it's really important to be listening 
to the oppressed. And just because someone's in power over you, you know, we could argue whether or not that's oppression, but historically that, that ends up, um, kind of muting the voice of someone. And so I am much more interested in kind of being a, a community or a society where we have mutuality and reciprocity and we can work together. I don't necessarily see the need for power differentials. And again, that's like, as far as government and things like that, that's a, those conversations could go on for days. But, um, but yeah, I guess just as, as a person, I am more interested in how to have an equal seat at the table for everybody to make sure everyone's heard and everyone's perspective is considered because we're all bringing something different. I, when I read the words of like, male theologians and, and popes, like God bless them. But when they talk about women, I'm just like, why don't you just get a woman to say this? <laughs> like, because we, we are the only ones who know our experience. I think women can speak to women at a much deeper level. And so, and the same thing with, you know, the, the U S Catholic church can talk all day about racism and black Americans, but like, until we pass the microphone, to the people, to, to black Catholics, which we really haven't been doing, you know, in the past two years since this racial awakening, like we're not going to get very far. I think we just really have to start learning to share power, to be a healthier church and to be able to, to look more like Jesus, honestly. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, would you say that it's accurate to say that theology and experience Having an accurate theology of something, whether that's a theology of men or a theology of women, that your experience is inherently tethered to whether that theology is right or wrong or closer to the center or off base. Would you say that it's necessary to experience something in order to correctly articulate the theology of whatever you're speaking about? I definitely think theology and experience have to go hand in hand for sure. Um, and I think, you know, theology in some ways is something that continues to change and evolve. And, and, you know, I think that's something that's really holy because it means that, that the Holy spirit continues to be at work in us and continues to, um, to grow and stretch us. So, I mean, certainly there's, there's something to be said. And that's why I'm still, you know, in this day and age when so many people are just like, I don't need the church. Like, I don't need religion. Like that's still, it's something that's very important to me to continue being, being a part of. Um, and at the same time, like I want, I don't want to see it stay the same as it was a hundred years ago. Like I want us to keep becoming a people who look more like Christ and who, um, who are perceived by others as Christ-like, which is not the case right now. And I think we can be really defensive about why that is, but I think it's, it's, um, it would be a lot more helpful if we were curious about why that was and, and open to correction or, or, or humble enough to listen. That was a a tangent, but little, little piece of opinion thrown in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. You referenced earlier how you were incorporating this sense of spirituality into your parenting and and building a family that is, in a sense, a community. And uh, specifically with your relationship with your husband, uh, you've you've written a lot, again, on feminine and female spirituality, which is specific, again, to your experience as a mother, as a woman within the church. 
I'm curious as you as your marriage continues to develop over the years of being together, uh, would you say that your husband uh, and yourself have very distinct spiritualities uh, defined by the fact that he is a man and you are a woman? Or would you say that as a married couple, it's it's pretty unified? How, how does that dynamic of female spirituality interact with your relationship with your husband? Yeah, I think that's part of the reason that I included that in the title of the book, because it was a really holy and like freeing thing for me to realize that I have my own expression. And I think a lot of that is because I am very feminine. I am a woman and I, I do feel, um, I feel more connected with God when I am, when I am free to do it my way instead of feeling like I have to do it this certain way. And for so much of my life, I was of like doing it, you know, read your Bible for 15 minutes and make a list of things to pray. And, and those things are so good. And like, I would never want to discount them completely or remove them from my life completely. But for us, um, it's, it's been a journey because we got married pretty young. I was 23. He was 24. We've been married 15 years now. And at first it was very much like we encountered God the same way. We met at that non-denominational evangelical church. So we encountered God. We had prayer practices that were really similar. We were missionaries together the first couple of years in Southeast Asia. Um, we were on, so we were on a team together. And so there was just a lot of feeling like everything had to be the same. Um, and that has slowly evolved over the years, which has been really healthy. We actually have my husband is not the the guy who's going to watch football. I mean, like maybe every once in a while, but not like, it's not like his thing. He talks incessantly about his feelings. <laughs> like I, I talk less about my feelings. So we, we don't have a lot of like the gender, like norms, you know, that, that people talk about in marriage. Um, and yet I find, um, his, his way of encountering God, which is a lot of meditation, um, he, he practiced, he's practiced centering prayer every day for like five years now or something and, and, and really enjoys reading theology and, um, contemplatives like Thomas Merton. And so all of this stuff I would try to do and it just would not have the same resonance. And so mm. for me, kind of learning that I experience God, like, in my body, in my interactions with my children, in nature. And it doesn't replace other things, but kind of finding my own way of connecting with God that, and learning that it, we can be happily married and, and emotionally intimate without our spiritual lives having to look exactly the same, you know? And I feel like we're really lucky in that we, we do share um, you know, a Catholic faith. We don't, we're not like going to two different churches or anything like that, but on a personal level, we have different, we have different styles of encountering God for sure. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So would you, would you say that as you've continued to learn more about, uh, feminine spirituality and then your own personal spirituality, would you say that your spirituality primarily stems from your personality as just a, as a person, regardless of gender or specifically from the fact that you are a woman? I'm sure it's an entanglement of both, but... Exactly. I would say it's an entanglement of both. But I 
as as I read more on this topic, I um I have I have been pleasantly surprised to realize that this is kind of a common experience for women to kind of realize like that we I think you know, for those of us who have been pregnant or breastfed or things like that, like our body is so connected to the way that we experience God. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think even those of us who have not had those specific experiences, cause that can identify similar times, but I think there's something about the makeup of women that we are, we are very tangible and earthy. And I think that's really cool because the Christian faith is incarnational. And I think we have like a very, um, a very physical like portal into that, you know, and, and not just like in bearing children and breastfeeding, but, but that is one very obvious example of how many of us have experienced it. I think it kind of started for me because my husband did this men's rite of passage. So there's, um, I can't remember the name of the group now, but there's a, there's an organization that hosts these men's rites of passage. And so he did one and it was a really healing thing for him. And, you know, instead of being like, well, that's sexist. Why is it only for men? Why, why do they exclude women? I kind of like had the opportunity to honor like, oh, there is something really sacred about men being together. And so I guess that, that might've been kind of the springboard of like what made me curious to read more of what is identified as feminine spirituality, you know, and like, what does that look like? How is that different than, you know, an archetypal masculine relationship with God or whatnot. And we all have both in us, you know, that's the beauty of being human beings. We're not either or, but you know, there are, there are consistencies among, you know, women and among men. So yeah, that's been a, it's been a fun path. And the reason that I wanted to write a motherhood book about it was because there's a lot of books about women's spirituality and there's a lot of books about motherhood, but I felt like I hadn't seen them come together in a way that felt incredibly interesting to me. I felt like motherhood books are often about like encouraging women, um, in, in just the difficulty of early motherhood, you know, um, there's not a lot of books for mothers who are past those early years. It's usually kind of like here, you're going to get through this. (laughs) You will sleep again or whatnot, you know, but, um, I don't know. Anyways, I'm just babbling now. Thanks for listening, Jenny. (laughs) Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I love the title of your book, Rewilding Motherhood. It immediately caught my, immediately caught my eye just based on the title alone. Have you noticed in your interactions with people who have read your book that there's a certain personality of woman that's drawn to what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And one of the most difficult things is when women who feel fully alive and, and in their element through homemaking feel misunderstood by this book. And I just want to tell each and every one of them, like, no, I don't mean that it's not enough. Like, I'm so glad that you have joy and that you are alive, you know? So it's like, I don't at all want to speak to for all women. You know, I can't, nobody can. Um, but it's also like, I, there are so many of us who feel kind of invisible and feel like we don't even recognize ourselves anymore. And, um, and we don't, 
you know, we try to pray and maybe we just like, we don't feel God and it just feels hopeless. And, you know, like there's just, there's a dryness that can come. Um, and I, I was going to say, especially, you know, after, after, after you're in motherhood a ways, but I have heard from women who are, who just had a baby first baby and, and it's speaking to them because they're kind of going through the trenches as well. And so I think that there's, um, that personality is certainly an issue. Family dynamics is always an issue. Like as far as who enjoys the book the most, um, desire to work outside the home or, or to have a, have, have some kind of path outside the home. Like that's been a common theme that I hear. Um, and I think people who are just, who kind of feel like they lost themselves in, in becoming a mother and don't know, don't know how to move out of that feeling. Like that's something that I hear a lot, but not every woman does, you know, not every woman feels that. Hi everyone. Jenny here. I just wanted to jump on and say that I've learned over the past year and a half of podcasting that one of the main ways people hear about podcasts is through word of mouth. A lot of people have told me that they heard about wide open spaces because a friend told them or a sibling told them or their parents told them. So if wide open spaces is a show that you value, if you would like to see our mission of dialogue continue to expand, if you have found the content in this episode or previous episodes to be valuable, I encourage you to share this with a friend. Bring it up at Sunday dinner, share it through your Instagram or through your Facebook or through your Twitter. Share Wide Open Spaces with a friend today. It means so much to see Wide Open Spaces continue to grow organically through fans who share it with other people that they care about. So be sure to share this episode or other episodes that matter to you. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of my conversation with Shannon Evans. Now, as you've done your own research on feminine spirituality and you've written this book and you're practicing it in your everyday life as a woman, as a mother, this is something I'm always curious to ask, especially women who are speaking really clearly on uh, feminine spirituality is what's the significance of Jesus's gender? The fact that the incarnation uh, is in fact a male a man, Jesus. And that's intentional. I mean, at least from where I'm coming from, I immediately assume anything that Jesus did was very intentional. It wasn't like, well, I have to pick one gender, so roll a dice, and I decided to become a man, right? And uh, I read your article. uh, You wrote an article for a Jesuit publication on the idea of of, uh, referring to God as as she or as a woman. And this this is part of the church's tradition. There are saints and theologians who, without any kind of quote-unquote feminist agenda, this is something that is legitimate. That's what you're presenting in this article. And so I'm curious, in the context of this conversation about feminine spirituality, when you think of Jesus and there's this realization that historically he entered time as a man, and he is he is in fact God, how does that relate? Why do you think even just kind of as your own personal experience as as a Catholic, regardless of theology, how do you think of the fact that Jesus chose to be a man? Yeah, well, that, it doesn't bother me, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. I think I think from a from a theological perspective, I'm like in that time and space, like it was it was very patriarchal 
culture, religious culture, and also social culture. Like for, it just would have, like, it was already outside of any kind of imagination that God would be a person, right? But on top of that, that this person would be female, it just would have died before it began, <laughs> you know? Like there, like there would be okay. no traction. There, it wouldn't, like a female couldn't have even had disciples, you know? I mean, there, there's just so many historical reasons that make sense to me to such a degree that it's just not something that I really think about. Now, I, I will say it has made me appreciate Mary more because it has given me, um, and like an intercessor, I suppose you could say who I feel like more understands my particular human experience. Um, and I, I think it has, there, there was a time, there was a time, all of our, all of our spiritual seasons are so important and so valid, but there was a time when I was younger before, like right before I got married, where the, the, the symbol or the archetype of Jesus as a bridegroom really ministered to me and just like was a very healing thing. And, and like, I, I would just devour anything that had like any, any books that had to do with that, or I just would use that in my prayer life. And that hasn't been so much the case, but I think at the time, I mean, it hasn't been so much the case for me now, but at the time that was incredibly valuable. And I felt bad for men that they couldn't really, I mean, it's not, it's not a sexual thing or it's not a romantic thing at all. And so men can enter into that, but I think there was something easier for me to enter into that imagery of bridegroom as a woman at the time. So I think that there are room for, there's room for a lot of things. Yeah. Room for a lot of things. Okay. That's interesting. I, you mentioned in this article about uh, referring to God as she, again, you, you referred to Julian of Norwich, who was the, um, the, I think she was, was she a mystic? Yeah, she's considered a mystic. Yeah. Okay, she's technically yeah. not a saint, which is which is so interesting. I think she just kind of got overlooked over the years. That's in- yeah, that is A lot of people right? just assume she's a saint, right? Yeah, because yeah, I noticed that she it didn't say St. Julian of Norwich, but I, I've been kind of familiar with her name, but that, that's interesting. I'd like to mm-hmm. learn more about why it hasn't unfolded that she's been yeah. canonized. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's one brief quote. I'll just read it for the sake of listeners. Um, uh, in terms of, of why one might, uh, be, my, what, about why it might be valuable to open the idea of just for being familiar with the idea of referring to God, uh, with a, a feminine pronoun. And the quote goes like this, and this, you wrote this. And if there's only a father in heaven, what about the people, men and women alike, who have been hurt too deeply by men to receive a father's love? And what if the healing, and I guess my response to that was, I thought, okay, yes, it's so true that there's been so many people who have been uh, wounded by their experience of men on earth. And of course, that understandably transfers to their experience of God the Father. And even in my own spiritual journey, I've I've wrestled with that, just not always resonating with God the Father specifically because of things that had happened in my past. And I, I was discussing um, this with a couple friends, and the one idea that was presented was often when there's a wound, one of the 
the best ways of healing, and of course, healing is so individual, but one of the best ways that someone can step closer to healing is by encountering a redeemed version of that which hurt them. So if if it's been your father who's really crushed you, or maybe you've had a really horrific encounter with a romantic relationship with a man or a divorce that was driven by wounds that were coming from your experience of men, things like that, that increasingly just turning to women for that sense of healing um, may not actually bring the redemption because, again, there, there's been something that's been crushed, specifically your encounter with men. And so a redeemed uh, encounter with men may be the only avenue for a fullness of healing. So that, that was my one thought, especially in a culture right now that is really I mean, men and women are both under attack. I think that an authentic, healthy femininity and masculinity, they're both being bludgeoned by a lot of different avenues of culture. But at least from what I've been seeing, masculinity has especially been attacked right now. Um, And maybe that's an overcorrection because there's been understanding that um, women have been historically uh, oppressed and there's been... A, a crushing of women historically. And so there's been a revival of, of wanting to correct that error uh, historically and spiritually. But sometimes it overcorrects and then you have this idea, or at least it starts unfolding, that men are becoming more increasingly more feminine to the detriment of their own masculinity. And so in the midst of this cultural situation, I, I wonder if overemphasizing an, I, I, the idea of a feminine god uh, would leave men a bit stranded, uh, or at least having giving people the opportunity, including women, to have a redeemed encounter with God the Father, rather than just saying, well, I have to kind of write off God the Father, and I'm going to start referring to God uh, in this feminine way, when in fact what I need is the Father. A lot of thoughts, and I know it's a, it's a broad conversation. Yeah. Sure, uh, no, this is all like skimming the surface of a lot of deep conversations. Yes. But yeah, yes. I mean, and I, I've I've had that thought too of like some, you know, that might be the best path. And it's certainly, I mean, for some people that could be the best path and that could be, um, and I think that that has been a really healing path for a lot of people with, with male wounds in their life, men or female, men or female, men or women. <laughs> um, but I think, I think what I come back to is that there is, there are in, in our spiritualities, there are things that make sense on paper and then there is our experience and you, we can't will ourselves to, to be healed by the idea of, of a father God. So I think the way that I know God is like, pick a metaphor. There are so many, like in the Bible alone, like here are all these metaphors for me. Like pick the one that heals you. Pick the one that that allows you to draw near to me, you know? And so that's kind of what I see of like I don't think it's um I don't think it's super important that we stick to one of those metaphors. Um I think it's helpful in language as as a religious community to have a shared language, you know? So it's like yeah, we don't necessarily want to address God like as every single metaphor in the, in the Bible, every time we're together, you know? Um, but I think that there's, God is such a personal God, you know, is it's so personal. It's not like 
well, here, this is the, this is the solution. This is what is, you know, this is what you need. It's like, um, I will open myself up for you and you find, find the way into me that makes the most sense to you. You know, mm-hmm. I guess that's my short version answer. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these questions, it's a case of both and. Yeah. And I, I know I'm certainly inclined to trying to reduce it to, okay, choose, pick the right one, the right, <laughs> making it right or wrong, making it very left or right. But there's often, mm-hmm. it's often a spectrum and often both answers are right, which is frustrating. I mean, I think that's part of the journey <laughs> of spirituality is that there definitely is uh, areas of life where it's a clear right and wrong, mm-hmm. uh, choose one or the other, but then often the Lord calls us to lean into a little bit of this tension of, okay, it's, it's a little bit of both. And maybe in different seasons of life, there's going to be a difference and a shift. Yeah, exactly. Right. I I know for me, I've had different seasons where different, you know, um, different faces of God resonate more with me than, than other seasons for sure. Like I said, the bridegroom, the father, the mother, like it's, but it's all the same person, you know, that, that we are encountering and it's, it's about relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is another, this is another huge topic. So I guess maybe this is a theme of this conversation is skimming the surface of things that are (laughs) genuinely icebergs. Uh, so mea culpa for that, but I, I, you, you, you presented a lot of different, really fascinating ideas in your writing. So I was reading not just your book, but a lot of different articles that you've published. Uh, so I, I'm kind of taking different ideas from what I've seen you write on. And I've seen in various publications that you've uh, written for, uh, this idea of addressing the problem of patriarchy or using the classic term dismantling the patriarchy. And I know that this in, whether it's in secular feminism or whether it's within the context of Protestant or Catholic, uh, discussions about women, that term dismantling the patriarchy is certainly, it's very talked about right now in a lot of different contexts. And some people really take uh, offense at the idea of dismantling the patriarchy. Others are enthusiastically participating in it. And then, of course, there's a, a lot of people who are standing somewhere in the center. And I'm curious about your perspective on that idea of dismantling patriarchy. And part of my curiosity comes from just in my own personal experience growing up in the church uh, and being raised by some really strong men and women. But my experience of men has been largely very positive in the sense that they were, I think, one of the major forces of empowerment in my life. I mean, my father, my uncle, a lot of just, I was around a lot of uh, men who were professionally in ministry and they always were like, oh, they, they were often the first ones to say, oh, you, you go get it, girl. Like you're, you're going to be a great leader someday. You know, we have all of this faith in you. And I was actually in a synod session. Um, and one of the questions that was presented in our synod circle was, uh, how is the voice of women not being heard? Uh, it was specifically women and other minorities, but we were focusing on this topic of women within the church. And, it was really interesting to hear the perspectives of different women in my specific circle who were saying that they they hadn't been heard. Whereas my experience just being in a very public family and then even being in many different public positions myself, having a very strong communicative personality, 
I was thinking, okay, in my personal anecdotal experience, I've been very listened to, or at least I've, I've felt very listened to, even on a diocesan level, my interactions with priests. I've often felt that as a woman, I had an advantage because I was often a minority in the room, you know, often end up in situations where I'm the only woman and uh, paired with my skill sets and my personality. Again, that is often put me in a position of being someone who's maybe even overly heard. And so with all of this personal experience, but then also as I've tried to dig deeper into the theology of why has the higher, why has the institutional Catholic church been built, uh, on patriarchy, especially in terms of clergy? Why are all men priests? Why is the institutional church? Well, it's literally a patriarchy. Uh, why, why has this happened? And to me, the term patriarchy has been fairly neutral in the sense that similar to what I was saying about power, it's only a problem as I've seen it if it's being abused, right? Uh, and of course, there's been many different variances of abuse within the patriarchy. Uh, and that that is the problem. So I'm curious, do you see patriarchy good or bad as a problem to be solved? Or is it more specifically the abuses of patriarchy that would be something that the church should increasingly focus on and and purge itself of. Yeah. I think that the tricky thing and the is that I don't think those things can possibly be mutually exclusive. I think okay. that there's any time that only men have power, there are going to be more cases of that power being abused. Um, not every man, not every priest, you know, um, and I'm not even talking about sexual abuse, but just clericalism or, you know, the good old boys club kind of, you know, very insular. Um, I think that that's part to me, that's part of the reason why bringing as many different kinds of people and as many different perspectives and experiences to a table is to me, the most healthy format. Because I think it kind of prevents some of that, um, what becomes sort of self-protecting and, and becomes kind of toxic. So I'm not a man hater. I no. think men are awesome. I have had amazing men in my life. My grandfather, my uncle, my dad, like phenomenal. Same as you of like, they have been huge cheerleaders for me. Um, but I don't want, I don't think it's fair or healthy for, for them to be making all of the decisions without having, um, you know, we, we now have one, one woman who, who will get a vote, you know? <laughs> um, so like without, I think just in general of like votes, like e equal rights to vote, I think that those things are really important anywhere that decisions are being made. The voices of many different people's experience should be taken into account. So I think that I think the exact same thing would be the case if it was matriarchy, you know, or if it was only white people. Um, I think only straight people. Like, I think that we just have to learn to create spaces that include, and which is part of the reason I'm so excited about this synod, because I think it's so overdue and so important to create these spaces where people's voices are actually heard and not just the people in power, but, but everyone. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And so 
when you've referred, I know, and honestly, I know that 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 term, part of why I'm curious about clarifying that idea of dismantling the patriarchy is because I think there's a lot of assumption, assumptions that are made about what that exactly means and what that entails. It's, mm-hmm. it's a loaded phrase, understandably. Yep, it is. And so for you, is that specifically focused on introducing the idea of introducing a female priesthood into the Catholic Church? Or is it more, much more broad than that? Yeah. Yeah, it's much more broad. That's not necessarily the hill that I'm dying on. Okay. Um, that's something that I am interested in being a part of the conversation on. I'm, I think what I find for myself is that I, I can tend to see a lot of different perspectives and have respect for those different perspectives. And so I think in a lot of ways, I'm kind of a safe person for people to be like, okay. It's not threatening to have these conversations. Like it's it's okay. It's permissible. Um, which is kind of silly because we should be able to have conversations with each other, right? But um so I think for me it's just sort of that is a that is being Catholic is a big part of an, my identity. And so it's something that I care a lot about. But to me it's it's more of just my dream is so much kind of beyond the Catholic church specifically, but for, for everybody that we could all be, um, be more heard, more listened to. We could all, you know, share a little bit better into kind of creating a society where, where nobody gets trampled on, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the, the movement of the synod building a culture of listening that's that's only going to and i think even just by the act of listening there's going to be so so many beautiful fruits that come out of that because yeah. it introduces things into the conversation that have never been that have never been part of the conversation before so i'm i'm really curious over the next few years even over the next decade to see what happens just by the sheer power of listening <laughs> yeah, me too me too yeah <laughs> i'm ready for yeah. it yeah yeah now, I know that coming from your perspective, I'm sure that you've uh, encountered different criticisms of your work, criticisms of your perspective on spirituality and women in the church. Uh, perhaps I would assume from a more traditional leaning uh, worldview within Catholicism, uh, especially those that are inclined towards perhaps the traditional Latin mass and just a, a more traditional dynamic between men and women. And I know that for every, not at, like, I think in, I'm actually more inclined, I think, towards a traditional worldview, um, which has been a shift in my life. Uh, and I know that that word traditional comes with baggage, depending on where you're standing, it may or may not Lots have a negative connotation. Baggage, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. Um, and I'm curious, have you had, whether online or in person, have you had personal conversations with people who are really concerned about what you're presenting? Uh, and if you had any, I guess, positive outcomes, not necessarily you're reaching a point of agreement, but you're standing in a disagreement with someone uh, with a mutual respect or that it ended mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, yeah. I have had, um, I've had many of those exchanges for sure. Um I, I mean, do you want like a specific example? If you, if <laughs> or you just, have a specific example. Of, <laughs> yeah. No, if you have hope a specific, that that can exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both the hope that it exists, but also if you have an anecdote to demonstrate that yeah, reality, that's, that's I mean, wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, I, 
don't have an anecdote off the top of my head, but I've had some really great exchanges and, and a lot of people, um, have been really generous with, with their assumptions, you know, of like, Hey, I really disagree with you about this, or I seem like I'm much more traditional than you probably are, like what they'll say to me. Um, but blah, blah, blah. Like, I think we can, we agree on this or we connect on this. And so I really appreciate that just posture of assuming the best about people and believing the best and not feeling like we have to have our fist clenched, being defensive, being ready to defend our position at all times. It does get a little tense when, when you don't completely see eye to eye to some with somebody, you know, but I mean, that's, that's part of our call in the world, right? Is to like, to, to uh, build those bridges and to reconcile, um, you know, to meet in the middle or to just at least listen to one another. And so I, I have had people be really kind to me. I've certainly had people who have been really mean and, um, yeah, <laughs> but, and, um, you know, people that I've had to block. Cause I'm like, I feel like this is just not, not, nice <laughs> like just be a nice person you know like i'm i'm very happy to have people disagree with me as long as they're kind about it um yeah. but yeah i have been encouraged that it's happening it's out there i am hopeful that the synod will kind of bring those conversations out of the internet and into the parish level where we were actually looking at people face to face and and talking about things that are uncomfortable but doing it together oh, sorry yeah. together yeah yeah yeah, I've certainly been attentive to that in my own heart when I'm encountering. I mean, I have lots of conversations even just on this podcast where I'll, I'll be listening yeah. and I'll notice within my own spirit or just within even my physical body, a sense of fear or immediate defensiveness, especially around, we all have, I mean, these are controversial topics and that's partly, partly what I do on this podcast yes, is kind of chase those conversations. And so physically I'll notice myself, like even the conversation around female priesthood, I know it's very specifically Catholic, but I know for a lot of people, it's a very visceral reaction. Some are yeah. just so excited, like the idea that that of that is something that is. Do they just like, oh yes, like I would love that. And other people, it makes them feel sick to even think about that. Mm -hmm. um, men and women, and I'll notice in myself, and I'm like, okay, it's it's all right that I'm having this strong reaction internally. It's okay that I'm feeling the desire to defend and to go into that kind of apologetic debate mode right now. Yeah. But uh, I don't want that to override my ability to really hear what this other person is saying uh, and to engage with an open curiosity because I don't think that there can be any damage from really hearing someone. And if I immediately go into this fearful, defensive uh, mode of communication, well, it, no good will likely come of that for either person. <laughs> right, so. right, right. And, you know, it's like it's hard to release. I think there's there's certainly an element of – you know, nobody wants our personal opinions to be attacked or belittled, right? Like it feels better in our bodies when people agree with us, but then there's also a feeling of like, I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I think it probably goes beyond me, but just like this sort of like panic of like, oh no, like how am I going to defend this? Or like, I have to be the one to convince them that I'm right. Or like, I have to, um, give the right apologetics or, or back myself up with scholarship or whatnot. And I think 
it helps me to kind of like breathe and just remember we're all on a journey. Like, and we're allowed to change our minds. Like if I come on this podcast in 10 years saying something totally different, I'm allowed to, you know, like, and I would have five years ago. Like that's part of the beauty of being in relationship with God and being in relationship with the Holy Spirit is that we are constantly on a journey. So we don't have to like, there's, yeah, we put so much pressure on, on those conversations. Absolutely. Now I just have two questions in closing. Uh, and, and the first is actually to do with the artwork on the front of your book. Now, personally, I found the artwork and the title of your book, Rewilding Motherhood, uh, and this kind of earthy artwork that is on the cover to be very appealing. Now, in paired with the title of your book and the artwork that you're presenting, it did also remind me of maybe that, that sense of the divine feminine, not in a Catholic or even Christian sense. Um, and maybe even a little bit of a, of a new age flair to it. Now that's just really? connotation. That's just connotation. Um, yeah. mostly because it's like coming from the earth and this idea of mother earth. And again, all of these are connotations that are, I'm come from me personally, sure. right? Yeah. No, I just hadn't heard anybody say that yet. Yeah. 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 But and keep so going. I was, what I was curious about was, I don't know if you've directly used the term the divine feminine, perhaps in some of your writing. I don't know if you have in the past, but is there, and I, I, I'm not in a negative sense. I'm, I'm hoping that this is, it's clear that I'm trying to phrase this, uh, comment, uh, this question in a positive light. Cause for me, it is in a positive sense. Is there, have you explored a connection? Is there for you a connection between, spiritualities that are very much beyond Christianity. I know that can be controversial and it can uh, make some people uneasy, but I, I was curious because you have this very earthy um, sense of presentation to your work. And I, I was yeah. curious about that connection. Yeah, no, I, I was just surprised because I hadn't heard anybody say that about the cover, but that was actually really enlightening. Like I'm interested to know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I certainly, have felt in the past few years, as I've kind of come into my own ways of relationship with God, have very much connected with uh, Franciscan spirituality. So very, very earthy and very creation oriented. Um, also kind of like the, the Ignatian imagination. And for me that, that also ties in a lot to, um, incarnation. And so I do really gravitate towards like the material and the earthy and that's how I, how I experience God. Um, I, I have done some reading certainly in other religious traditions. It hasn't been something that I've been extensively drawn to. I think part of the reason is because, um, Christian language and Christian representation of God feels so deeply like my home, you know, mm-hmm. like I just haven't had, yeah. um, I'm always interested in what other, other experiences or other cultures have to say or other spiritualities, but it's not, um, it's not something that I've explored deeply because I feel, I don't feel the need, I guess you would say like for me personally, yeah. although I, I enjoy yeah. listening to other people's experiences, but, um, but yeah, I mean, right now I'm studying Hildegard of being in St. Hildegard and, oh. and uh, just like, I'm like, wow, she's so Franciscan <laughs> <You know? laughs> because I, I thought maybe of like one day becoming like a Franciscan associate or something. So it was interesting to see, um, someone that I don't 
you know, I knew vaguely that she was, you know, into earthy stuff and creation and stuff, but it was fun to kind of make that connection and see the precedent in, um, Christian spirituality specifically for a lot of these things that are a big part of the conversation in what I understand to be new age or, or whatnot. Um, but that we actually have that in our tradition within Christianity. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting to me as far as I'm, I probably, I'm pretty sure I've used the word, the phrase divine feminine. I also feel it's appropriate to use the phrase divine masculine. So Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily, Mm -hmm. um, think that it's like new age. I think it's more for me, like a descriptor of the, the particular face of God I'm talking about at that time, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good clarifier. I was, it was honestly just uh, something that I was curious about because I know that, I mean, the, most of the principle principles of new age spirituality are quite a bit in opposition to Christian fundamentals. But I know that that sense of earthiness, sometimes it gets dragged into its exclusively new age. And so there's a wariness in some Christian yeah. uh, circles towards anything that's too earthy, right? Or that's allegedly, ale- allegedly too earthy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so I yeah. think that a sense of clarity around that is, is, mm. is helpful. Yeah. And realizing, like you said, I love St. Francis. My parents were very Franciscan in their spirituality really? as well. Cool. And that's something that yeah, certainly to me is in by is by no means oppositional to Christian yeah. spirituality. So, yeah, uh, my my last question for you is um, again, your one of your areas of expertise is uh, presenting on the idea of motherhood and parenting, and we've only lightly uh, spoken about that in this conversation. But I wonder, as a mother, you have seven children, right? I have five. You have five children. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you have daughters? I have one. Yeah, have my one youngest. Daughter. I have four okay. boys and then I had a girl. <laughs> that's okay, that's interesting. So as you're as you're parenting four sons and now this uh, your youngest daughter, are there specific ways as you're forming yourself as a parent that you uh that you seek to endow spirituality upon your sons as opposed to your daughters? Are you are you very deliberate in how you're thinking of parenting? Uh, your sons as opposed to your daughter? Is that something that you're actively thinking about? Or is it more of an open, like, individual to who they are? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they're still so young. Like, my my oldest is 12. And then after him, it's eight. And then they're all below eight. So I, you know, they don't necessarily, they haven't presented with specific spiritualities of their own yet. So it is kind of like, more of a formation and exposure. And and we do a lot of um, we live out like on a prairie. And so we do a lot of talking about God in nature and, and kind of, um, finding ways to honor God in our surroundings and, and to recognize God in our surroundings. Um, but no, I, I don't feel like at this point that that has felt necessary or, I mean, my daughter's only two and a half. Um, I am, I am aware of making sure that there is a representation of, like I said, like a lot, many faces of God for my children to, mm-hmm. um, to kind of be exposed to that, I suppose. So we just got this brand new book that was released, a children's picture book called Mother God. And it's the first time I'd ever seen anything like that for children. Um, I really appreciate that it's all kind of from, scripture. So there's like the mother bear, the mother hen, um, God as mother. 
to me, it comes across in a way that is very in line with my belief system, my Christian faith. And I believe it's printed by a Christian publisher, probably a more progressive one, obviously. Um, but that's just kind of introducing that to my sons and my daughter is really important to me to be like, um, you know, we, we use a lot of language and metaphor for God, you know, in church and in our prayers and in our father and stuff. So they hear that a lot. And I also want them to know that God is more multifaceted than this white man with a beard up in the clouds, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. That's, that's interesting. How do you, is there any trepidation uh, in, in your spirit presenting that idea of mother God, knowing that there are certainly ideas attached to that that are far outside of a Christian worldview, do you have like a sense of concern like, oh, they might misinterpret this or it might open an avenue to uh, walking outside of the Christian faith? I mean, I know that those concerns can be very specific yeah. to parents uh, or are you more? Yeah. What is your perspective on that? Yeah, no, I, I am not concerned about that because I am so confident that it is a part of our Christian faith. And that, mm -hmm. like, I know how to back it up with, like, mm -hmm. the, with our tradition and, and the writings of the saints. And even, you know, this Sophia, Wisdom Sophia, the spirit in, you know, the wisdom books mm -hmm. of the Bible, like, and things like the mother hen. So I just, but also the writings of, of saints and mystics. And, um, I don't know. I just feel like there is, I feel really, protective in some ways of Christianity, because I, I think we kind of have it all. Like we have so much to draw from. We're so lucky. Like our religious tradition is so vast. There's so many different spiritualities represented, even among just the saints, you know, much less every, like all the modern authors who are speaking. Um, and I just, I don't, want my kids to feel like, oh, if I don't fit this, then I have to look somewhere else. I want them to be like, no, you, okay, you want this? Here it is. You want this? Here it is. You know, we got it here. Um, you don't have to go looking somewhere else. So I think, you know, it's kind of interesting because what people might think is a turnoff, I I'm actually hoping is going to be more inviting to them in the long run. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's so interesting. Well, Thank you so much for sharing your time, your perspective, your story. I've, I've learned so much in speaking with you and I've really enjoyed reading your work. There'll be a link in the, in the show notes to a lot of your different, uh, articles and the, the book. I know you're, you're working on a new book. So in the future, that's something that we're looking forward to. And, uh, yeah, your gifts as a communicator have really blessed me. I love, I love, reading great writers and I've really appreciated how you how you write and present yourself to the world. So thank you so well, much for all of this. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have so much respect for you and the conversations you tackle on this podcast and think it's really important work. So thanks for what you do. Absolutely. Thank you once again. Well, I hope that you found this conversation with Shannon to be edifying. I hope you learned something new and I hope that you feel more equipped to engage in conversation with people with whom you may disagree, whether it's on this topic or any of the other topics that we've talked about on previous episodes. The conversation specifically around 
female priesthood. I know we just briefly tapped into that. And I know for especially for any Catholic listeners, that's a big topic of, of philosophy, theology. And certainly there's been a lot of contention about that issue within certain factions of the church. And I hope to engage with that topic more thoroughly in the future. Uh, it's, of course, not always possible to go as deep as is as I would love to do so in a specific episode. Stay tuned for future episodes where we may speak about that issue, uh, specifically a female priesthood, and whether that is a possibility, whether that lines up with the Catholic theology at all. So thank you so much for tuning in this week, and uh, stay tuned next week for a new episode every single Thursday. And once again, Thanks for listening to the Wide Open Spaces podcast. Our goal at Wide Open Spaces is to build bridges by having humanizing conversations about controversial ideas. The music for today's episode was composed by my brother, Zach Connolly, who you can find on all major streaming platforms for more original beats. If you enjoyed this episode and you are listening to this episode on an Apple device, whether that's an iPad or an iPhone, please leave us a review on the podcast app. Leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app or on iTunes. Give us five stars if you are willing to do so. Uh, We would love to hear your feedback in the review section. And when you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that really does help us to climb the podcast charts and to expand our audience. So be sure to leave a review today. And once again, thanks for listening and see you next week. 